Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In just those few short words of Scripture, we find the three most blessed attributes of the character of God. Love, mercy, and grace. And out of those three flows all of the goodness and all of the wonders that our minds could ever think or imagine about God. Let me read again verse 4 and 5. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. There are the three attributes of God. Blessed attributes. These three words tell us about God's great love with which he loved us, mercy that flows out from him towards us, and even, listen, even while we are still dead in our trespasses and sins. And may I say that so often people don't even want to open these scriptures or even visit a church because they feel like they have already gone too far down the wrong path. But here in these words, he's, the Lord is saying to us that even while we're still dead in our trespasses and sin, even when we are at our very worst, he is willing to give this unmerited grace. And with that unmerited grace, he makes us to come alive with Christ. Those are powerful words. And I want you and me to, to know what God is saying to us here. And note also that all that God is and all that he does always begins with love. Not our love towards him, but with his love towards us. And may I say again that it is always that way. And it will always be that way. Love and mercy and grace always begins with God and with his love. He is always the source, the beginning, the wellspring of all good things. Why would that be so? Why can't you and I initiate love, initiate mercy and grace? The reason is as simple as these words tell us, and it's exactly as we said in last week's message. Before we are made alive through his love, mercy, and grace, we are dead. We are dead. Though we are alive in the flesh, our souls are completely and utterly dead. That's what these words are saying to us. We are completely and utterly dead and utterly incapable of being or doing anything of goodness or value or worth. Let me read those words again. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Now some do argue that even in our dead condition, that we're still able to be aware of our need for God. That there is a void, an emptiness within us that cries out 
to be filled. That that's why for so long as we remain in our lost condition, we're constantly searching for something to fill that emptiness. And I understand that argument because I can recall that sense of emptiness and that constant searching that took place in my own life before God's great love, mercy, and grace fill that empty void within my soul. But listen, that is simply the nature, the wretched nature of that special kind of death that infects our unsaved souls. It is death, but it's also a constant dying. It's a constant dying, a continual suffering that seeks reprieve from anything that will bring it relief. But unfortunately, until God reaches towards us, our outstretched hand finds only the most destructive answers to our dilemmas. With some, it's the very worst. It's immoral behavior, it's drugs, it's alcohol, it's, it's searching for things, stuff. With others, it's, it's desires to be accepted, desires for other people to think well of us. But it's still a struggling constant struggling. Perhaps I've thought it's a foretaste of that kind of death that's spoken about in the book of Isaiah. The kind of death that will be suffered in hell also. It's spoken about there. In Isaiah 66 it says, where the worm does not die and the fire is never quenched. Think about those words. Those words put an image within my mind of, of a poor squirming creature caught up in the never-ending throes of death. I'm so glad that God chose to reach into my life and to draw me to Himself. Else that condition would still be my lot. A continual squirming, searching, but never finding relief for my suffering. Oh, let me tell you, I do remember very vividly so much of that searching, so much of that reaching out. For myself, I drank a lot. I was talking with a friend about alcohol the other day and the effects of alcohol. I must tell you that I consumed a lot of alcohol in those years before I came to know Christ. I never once, never one time, found relief in it. I told myself that I did, but I never did. And I found no relief in any of the other things, the immoral conduct that I had. It's just that way. They cannot fill that void. And I'm again, I'm so glad that God chose to reach into my life and to, to draw me to Himself. Else that condition of death would still be my lot. I'd still be squirming and searching, never finding, always suffering. And again, as these words tell us, relief will always come first from God's loving hand and not our own. I searched, but I never found. It always comes from God's hand. He is ever and always the first cause. The first cause of all that takes place, both in heaven and on earth. And it will always flow out from His great reservoir of love. First His mercy. First His mercy, and then that eventual favor that will bless us most for all eternity, His grace. And please do take note here that mercy is mentioned first and it must come first. Ahead of grace. Why must mercy come before grace? Too often, 
we use these two words, mercy and grace, almost interchangeably as if they meant the same thing. And while they do share some of the same meaning, they also are very different words, very different. One dictionary gave a definition of grace that I particularly like. It defines it as grace as being a spontaneous gift from God to man. Generous, free, totally unexpected, and undeserved divine favor, love, clemency, and a share in the divine life of God. I really like that definition. But now mercy, mercy has a different meaning, and it's, it is best defined more in legal terms. It is the decision on the part of someone who has the power, the position, and the responsibility to exercise justice for wrongs that have been done to withhold that deserved and just punishment for those wrongs. Let me say that again. Mercy is when someone has the power, the position, and the responsibility to exercise justice for wrongs that have been done to withhold that justice, and that punishment. And as I thought through this, I would have to say that mercy presented God with an especially difficult dilemma. Because God is a just God. And He's always holy. Which prevents Him from just simply setting aside the just punishment for wrongs that have been done. Why is that so? It's because the law of God is holy and it is right. And before God is able to give out His free, unmerited grace, His holy law must first be satisfied, must first be honored and followed to the uttermost. I've observed that we New Testament believers often have a very serious misconception regarding the holy law of God. We seem to think that God's law is just completely nullified, done away with by grace. And while those words are used in some senses in Scripture, it's simply not the intent of the words of God. Jesus said it very clearly in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. He said, For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till it is all fulfilled. The law of God is ever and always in effect and must be applied to any and everything that takes place in our lives and thus then brings the need for mercy. As we read, as we read last week in verses 1 through 3, let me read those again for you. We were dead in trespasses and sin in which We once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, the demonic forces that are all around us that work within the lives of the sons of disobedience, that worked in your and my life before we came to know Christ, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. Did you hear that? That just spoke what I just spoke. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the other. Folks, listen. Those words, 
that is unrighteousness all the way down to the core of our being. And left to remain in that condition, we are deserving of nothing less than that eternal death that I mentioned a moment ago where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. Doesn't that put a vivid image within your mind? And that is your and my portion and we deserve it. We deserve it. But thanks be to God and thanks be to His great love. He is so bountiful in His mercy towards us. And that's why we read here in verse 4, But God who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, and we were squirming in this with this worm that would not die, this fire that's, not, that's never quenched, by grace we are saved. So then how did God the Father solve this great dilemma that was presented to Him regarding sin and regarding mercy? The dilemma was solved when His beloved Son, the Lord Jesus, stepped forward and gave His life to pay the penalty for all the wretched unrighteousness that I just read about here in these first verses. Let me read them again for you. Dead in trespasses and sin... In which, in which we once walked according to the course of this world, the normal culture, the culture standards that are taking place, that's the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, that's the demonic forces that are working all within this culture of ours. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Remember I said last week, some of us are caught up in just how important intelligence is, how important the thought processes of this world are. That's no different than the desires that are more base of the flesh. We were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Folks, listen, mercy does not come easy or without cost. Your debt, my debt, that's spoken about here, it must be paid. It must be paid. It cannot just simply be set aside. The books that are spoken about in the great white throne judgment, they must be reconciled. And their name must be written without any opposing debts to our account within those books. It is only then, it is only then, after Jesus' blood was shed to pay for all of those debts, that God's mercy can be applied to our sin and to our trespasses and that God is then able to begin to move on to grace, to show His great grace to us, that spontaneous gift of generous, free, and totally unexpected and undeserved favor, divine favor, love, and clemency and a share in His divine life with Him. Grace. So then, how does that divine life of grace begin to manifest itself then within our lives after He has shown His mercy to us? Listen to verses 6 and 7. And He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. These words raised us up together with Christ. They speak of being resurrected with Him. Now while verse 7 speaks of 
the ages to come, resurrected life actually begins immediately. Immediately upon our receiving the blessed grace of salvation. Those words are best given to us in Romans chapter 6 and they give us a real close look at the new condition of grace that our new birth brings us. I'd like for you to read along with me so if I can, could get you to turn to Romans 6. I want you to read with me and I want you to recall and I'm going to begin in verse 1. I want you to recall that we are studying in Ephesians 2 these very words. And we're plainly told there in Ephesians 2 that we were dead. Completely dead. Utterly dead. But now we are being made alive. We have been made alive and we are being made alive daily. Resurrected into a new life. Let me read these words. I'm reading from the New King James Version. What shall we say then? Now this is the saved person. This is after you have received Christ as your Savior. Okay. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Do you keep doing the same things you did before you gave your life to Christ? Or do you not know that as many of us as are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, if we have died with Him, another scripture verse says, I am crucified with Christ. If we have died with Him... It says, if we have been united in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. If we have died with Him, we also are able to be resurrected with Him. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him. Our old person is now dead. We were crucified with Him that the body of sin might be done away with. That body of sin has completely been crucified, that we should no longer be slaves then to the sin that put us there. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Can you imagine looking at the corpse of a person and expecting anything of them? Everything that they were has died. And here the Lord is saying, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Him. So if we died and we were crucified with Him, then we also are able to be uh, resurrected with Him. Uh, Read down in verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin. Now, this is an intentional decision on your and my part. You and I have to be able to look at the sin that comes to us on a daily basis. It's one of those, it can be those bad habits that we were once caught up in before we came to know Christ. And we're sinking back into them. But he's saying here, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to those sins, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead. He's saying here, now you have a choice. Before you came to know Christ, before He came to live within you, before He saved you, you didn't really have a choice. You weren't able to say no to sin. But now you are. Now you're able to 
Make that choice. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. You can say no to it, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are no longer under the law, but under grace. As Christ died our death there on the cross, the dead nature within us literally and actually died with him. Both of us dying there at the same time. And yes, that is a mystical concept. It's one that's too deep for our ordinary minds to comprehend. But folks, it did happen. It did happen. There on that cross 2,000 years ago, somehow, somehow I died. You died. And yes, it is only now, 2,000 years later, that it is effectual within our lives. But the reality is, Our dead nature died there with Christ in his death. And now we're being made alive with him, resurrected to a new life, a whole new life, a life that's no longer consumed by, no longer controlled by sin. We are now completely and utterly free from the power and the control of sin and from our sin nature. And you and I have to believe that. We have to, by faith, believe that. That then will keep us from ever going back into any of those old elements of our sin nature. Now all that's hard for us to believe, considering on especially how we, are, we continually battle with the attacks of sin. But remember, remember, temptations are just temptations. Jesus was tempted. Temptations are not sin. They are simply the attacks of sin. They are not sin unless and until we give in to them. And on the authority of these words I just read to you, you and I do not have to give in. Not even once. Not even to one of them. That is one of the guarantees of grace. Remember, I quoted this verse last week. I said from 1 Corinthians 10.13, God said just before that sin, just before you give in to that sin, I'll always warn you ahead of time. And I'll always provide you a way of escape. It's a guarantee of grace. You and I do not have to give in to sin anymore. Grace is a powerful force. It protects us from the power and the control of sin. How does that work? It works simply and completely because of the presence of Christ abiding within us. When you and I receive Christ as our Savior, He comes to live within us, individually and personally. He is within me. He is within you this very moment. And it's because of His abiding presence within us. He is our power. He is our self-control. He is our protector. He is our defender. He is our shepherd. He is everything that we need to be who He wants us to be rather than who we used to be. We'll talk more about grace next week, but I'll stop here for now. Let me just close by reading the words of our text again for us. Verse 4 of Ephesians 2. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.